0: share with you this morning just a little bit, an exhortation before we come to the table. Today is Reformation Sunday. If you're not familiar with that, it's okay. A lot of Christians across the globe are celebrating this day today, celebrating what it represents, what it remembers. So, quick exhortation before we come to the table. So as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, I want us to take a moment this morning and I want us to think about Taylor and I want us to think about our surrounding communities that we come from. Do you have hope that God will triumph here? Do you have hope that God will triumph here? Do you really believe, not just like Confess, believe, like, I say this, I say I believe it. Do you believe, like, feel it in your bones, believe that God will triumph here, that the kingdom will conquer here? Do we believe that? It can, it can seem like impossible, like an impossibility. It can seem like a a dream or a wish just to think about God's kingdom invading and in our comu- invading our communities. It may seem like the stuff of fairy tales or fantasies for our governing authorities to kneel before our King of Kings. Soon at this morning Bible study said, Our president changes, but our king stays the same. It may seem like a fantasy to, to think about. Our governing authorities kneeling before our King of Kings. It may seem like all but impossible that our friends, think of your friends, our friends, our families, our co-workers, and our employers, that they could be transformed by the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Think about that this morning, and it seems impossible. And I'm here to tell you, That those things are impossible. They belong in a storybook. But be of good cheer because God is writing the story. He has written this story this way and he likes the plots thick. Now, you know, you read a storybook, you read a mystery novel, and you see, or you watch a TV show even, you see these thick plots that seem to never resolve. They always seem, you know, just where you think it can't get any worse for the character. Then you turn the page and, oh, it gets worse. Oh, the plot thickens. I thought he was going to be coming out of it. Not quite yet. That's the way God likes his stories. Our God prides himself on doing the impossible, which is why when we flip Back to our old stories, we see him miraculously overcome the impossible over and over and over again. Think back to the very beginning. Go back to the Red Sea. Think about the battle of uh, Jericho. Think about Noah and his ark. God prides himself on doing the impossible. Now think about this table. The bread and the cup that we're about to share here, how it is small, yet it is a feast. How it doesn't fill our bellies with sustenance, and yet there is no meal more satisfying. We come to this table every week, and yet, once we eat the bread of life and drink the living water, we never hunger or thirst again. As Christians, we are saved, and we are being saved. We have become one with Christ and we are seated in heavenly places. And yet, look around. Here we find ourselves. Between two worlds. Dying, yet eternally alive. Blood-stained sinners, yet snow-white saints. Suffering servants, yet conquering kings. We are part of a most mysterious and glorious story. Today, like I said, is Reformation Sunday. And this day that so many Christians celebrate, what we celebrate is the 16th century, in part, the 16th century Reformation. Now, think for a moment of all the Christians that have come before us. We can take away, one thing we can take away from this special day is that that we are here today in Taylor at Christ Fellowship Church sitting in our chairs because... People came before us. (coughs) We are here today worshiping the almighty God because of faithful men and women who have lived and died before us. Happy Reformation Day. The apostles, think of the apostles who gave their lives as seeds for the cause of Christ and his church. The early Christians who followed in this path and paid with their blood to ensure that the seed would continue to grow and flourish. Think of the reformers. The reformers of the 16th century and just prior, like John Wycliffe, John Huss, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, William Tyndale, Uldrich Zwingli, and Martin Busser, who relentlessly spent themselves to further the kingdom. Real people, real men, who spent themselves to further the kingdom the kingdom, by spreading the, the light of the word of God across the, glo- across the globe. Think of the bold men and women that while history may have forgotten their names, their selfless and satisfying lives and deaths have been the very stones that make up the path on which we today, this Sunday morning, are traveling upon. Their lives are the stones of... That are the path that we are standing upon today. The foundation that we stand upon today. And then there is you and me. When we look around and when we examine our lives. What do we see? A better question may be what do we feel? I believe That within many of you, within many of us, there is a holy, H-O-L-Y, a holy discontentment that you can't seem to shake. A desire and even a burning need for your life, for our lives, for our existence to matter. Why are we still here? We're Christians. Why didn't God just call us home once our ticket was punched? Why? Why are we still here? And I have the answer for you, for us. The answer is this. He wants us to see it. He wants us to see it, the kingdom. He wants us to see it, not just from a a snapshot view from far away. He wants us to see it. He wants to use your blood, your sweat, and your Tears to water it and help it grow. That's why we're still here. That's why after our ticket to heaven was punched, He didn't just say, Now come on up. He wants to use us, Our blood, our sweat, our tears, To water this thing and help it grow. He wants to use your life like a garden tool To cultivate it, To watch it spread Beyond your wildest imagination. Our God wants to defeat his enemies and expand his kingdom in ways that are more magical and mysterious and unexplainable than any fairy tale. That are more magical and unexplainable and mysterious than any fairy tale. So at the end of the story, all of creation will look upon this almighty author in fear and wonder and majesty and awe and give him finally the glory that is due his name. That is why we are here. That is why He wants to use us like tools. That's why He wants to squeeze us dry, our blood, our sweat, and our tears, to water this thing. So at the end of it, we all, with all creation, look to Him as the God of the impossible and give Him that glory, the the glory that is due His holy name. He wants to use us, yes, you, to accomplish this, but you are not Special, I am not special. He wants to use and he will use all of his children this way. We look at Martin Luther today, you know, Reformation Day. Martin Luther nailed the thing on the door. Hooray. Awesome. We look at the men who have uh, have been uh, honored throughout (coughs) the ages and rightfully so for the things that they've accomplished. But they're not any more special than you or I. God wants to use all of his children to grow and further his kingdom. So... This is the question. Are you his child? Are you being used like a garden tool? Or does this exhortation find you wasting your time and your treasure on temporary pleasures and on personal gain instead of relentlessly spending yourself for the advancement of his kingdom? Do the people around you even know you are a Christian? When was the last time you spoke about Christ with someone? Have you ever shared the gospel? Would you even know where to begin? What words to use? Do you even know enough about the faith that you profess to teach it to your own children, much less to complete strangers? If not, what are you doing about it? Do you read your Bible regularly? If you do, do you get bored because the only reason is, is out of obligation? Do you obey what it says even when it hurts? Do we obey what it says even when it hurts? Like, for instance, tithing. 10% of every dollar to our church. Even when it hurts, do we obey? Is this a farce? Is this the facade? Do you gather with God's people... And sing soft enough so the person directly in front of you can't hear. And then leave these walls hoping and praying that your life sings loud enough for the deaf to hear. Do these questions make you angry? Do they discourage you and make you want to quit more than they encourage you and make you want to grow? These are just some thoughts, some things for us to pray about. Do we think, listen, do we think it's too crazy or too useless to pray for 150 people to get saved? Do we? This, that's like 1% of the population approximately of Taylor. Do we think it's too crazy or too useless to pray for 150 people to get saved? If the answer to that is no, then my question is this. Why do we find it so difficult to pray for just one Here is a crazy thought. What if each of our families represented here didn't just pray for somebody. Last week pastor encouraged us to pray for 30 minutes a day. Here's a crazy thought. What if the families represented here didn't just pray for somebody to get saved, but we began to actively pursue our lost friends as if we were as if we were cashing in on a promise from God? If we were to pursue our lost friends and pray for them as if we were cashing in on a promise for God. Now imagine that if we purposefully sought out just a single lost friend. You purposefully sought out a single lost friend and you shared the gospel with them. Now imagine that your friend got saved and started coming to church with you. Now imagine that your friend who you shared the gospel with, who got born again, who began to come to church with you, began to follow your lead and shared the gospel with their friends. And now imagine that if they did this, they started to see the same results that you see, that you saw. They started to see their friends get saved and come to church with them. Now, you see how things can get pretty um, out of hand, out of control and tailored pretty quickly, don't you? If we were the kinds of Christians that the Bible talked about, you, do you see how Taylor, how things could get just a little bit out of control here? If we're not careful, we might accidentally fill up our little room here and run out of chairs. Now, what is stopping us? What is stopping us? This is all fine and good. This, oh, grandiose, nice talk. What is stopping us? Let's come down from 30,000 feet in our imaginations and let's put our feet on the ground and look look at our lives and ask ourselves, what is stopping me? What is stopping us? What is your excuse this morning? And so here's what I want us to do as we come to the table. Now, we may look like a bunch of crazy people, but that's okay. Here's what I want us to do. I want you to to take your excuse and I want you to hold it in your hands. Maybe you have a bunch of them. I don't care. Take your excuse and I want you to hold it in your hands. And I want you to look at it. I want you to feel it out. I want you to think about it. And then when you come to the table, I want you to bring your excuse with you. And as you come to this table, I want you to hold that excuse up. I want you to see your excuses compared to the lion of the tribe of Judah. I want you to hold up your excuse and see how it compares. Hold it up. Your your sinful excuses. Let's hold them up and let's see how they measure up to the lamb that was slain. And... I bet that if we see our excuses in this context, that we will be not just willing, but eager to lay them down. And that's what I want us to do. As you come to the table, bring your excuse. And as you hold it up to the lion and the lamb, I want you to leave it right there. Leave it under the table. And don't take your excuse back to your seat with you. Take the blood and the bread back to your seat with you. Cling to the body and the blood of our salvation. So Christians, reformers, seeds, garden tools, come and let us welcome Jesus Christ. Amen. Come to the table. Amen. Let us pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, sovereign of the universe. You have sanctified us with your commandments. And have commanded us to be the light of the world. You have sanctified us with your word. And you have commissioned us to proclaim the victory of your kingdom to the world. As we have come to the table, we have come in humility. Laying aside our pathetic excuses. As they pale in comparison to your glory and your majesty. God forgive us for our stubbornness. Forgive us for we are little faiths. We confess our sin and ask ask that you make us like children. Restore our idealistic belief that the impossible isn't impossible. Restore our faith and our hope and reassure us by your mighty hand that you are not finished with us. As we eat and drink, God, be our satisfaction. Take the cup and take the bread. We ask these things in the mighty name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen.